Hey everybody, welcome to Hit Rewind. I'm Michael. John's on the other side. What are we continuing this episode, John? We're continuing talking about albums that we love or uh, feel that did, didn't get as much love as they should have. In this case, the year 1996. Did you hear my voice crack? Hey, John! <laughs> it is early again, folks, so don't expect my brain to be extra crispy. It's going to be frozen in the freezer waiting to be cooked. Um, so I don't remember who started last time, but just go ahead. I, well, I did start last time, and yeah, uh, continuing on. Okay, so this is a bit of a cheat, uh, because, okay, I'm doing two albums, but as they were originally conceived, it was supposed to be a single album. And so I'm going to talk, treat them as such, even though one album came out this year, the, the second half of it came out in 97 it doesn't really make much sense to split them up this way uh and we are talking about metallica's load and reload which i didn't know what the cover was for the longest time then someone told me i was like oh <laughs> yeah yeah so yeah blood and semen and i I don't know, I think the other one is, is blood and something else like blood and piss or something like Blood-ish. that yes <laughs> But yeah, uh, so this was supposed to be a huge double album, uh, but it ended up being uh, Load itself was uh, basically they, they Metallica found that they bit off a little bit more they could chew doing this. At least they were and, smart and not do that. I usually hate all double albums. I always feel like they're just don't mix very well. Or I mean, the only reason you had double albums back in the day is because he <laughs> could only fit like you know. 30 minutes of music on each side of the record so it made sense for like the wall to be a double album i don't get why like food fighters when they did it and stuff like that it just seems excessive as hell yeah and but this is the idea is that they released half of it and then gave them time to work on the rest of the songs now did that make reload a stronger album not oh, yeah. really but let's uh let's all be honest with ourselves these aren't as bad as saint anger or lulu so let's all chill the fuck out a little bit, yeah. right? I know someone who's still mad they cut off the hair. Still, after all these years, when they sold out, man, when they cut off their hair, and as like they slightly changed their sound, they slowed down a little bit. But you see, you see the uh, seeds of this planted in the previous album, where it's a little bit more, uh, you know, just like darker metal, not not so much thrash. Yeah, well, that's the thing is they with uh, like with the black album. They have Bob Rock as a producer, and he's not a person who handles thrash rock, you know, stuff. He's he's a popular music person, you know. He did like he's done Molly Crew and and uh, Bon Jovi and shit like that. So he knows how to make something sound commercial as shit, and that's and that's what this is. is these are commercial records, but what's I really do think that these you need to kind of get over yourselves everyone who just blanketly hates these albums because they're not thrash listen give them an actual listen because they're actually pretty good you know heavy metal records yeah they're not you know, alternative they're, they're not i mean at best you would say maybe like alternative if influenced metal but they're not alternative it's not like they completely sold out their genre yeah and that's the thing it's, uh and that's the thing is like this shows a lot of influence from the bands that they were touring with over all the time because you get uh, like there's like blues influences on you know things like uh, two by four and mama said there's a lot of grunge uh, and stuff there's uh hold on a second i have a cat who is going to just constantly meow and listen <laughs> i want a special commentary track <laughs> Yeah, but that's just it. It's like there's grunge, there's standard heavy metal. Uh, Load of the two is definitely the better offering of them. Uh, where yeah, Reload does still kind of come off as like the B sides. Yeah, well, but, it's like a lot of artists who their first album like just totally kicks ass, and they're like, "Well, we need a follow up album the next year." Like, oh shit, we only have a few uh, songs that we we're even working. You know, like it's just like the leftover bits and pieces. Yeah, and but that's the thing. So I will give Reload one thing. It has a top ten Metallica song for me. The closing track Fixer is fucking amazing. It's basically it's a typo negative song 
that Metallica just decided to steal from them and write themselves. <laughs> well, I mean, of course, it's the a... first two, the first two are pretty legendary. Uh, you know, if you were to see them live, I'm sure they would play them. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, Fuel is is definitely a track that pops up in a lot of stuff. That and, was yeah, the it... uh, Fuel was the opening theme song to our short-lived uh, podcast. Uh, oh, damn it! It was about cars and stuff like that, movies and TV shows. I can't remember what it was called. But yeah, we used that for a while because it was just like the perfect like opener. But like, Fixer's this slow, sludgy, goth, you know, sort of rock track, and it's definitely out of anything. That's the one I definitely would say take a listen to, just personally. But yeah, these aren't. You're not gonna you're not gonna snap your neck headbanging to these. These aren't those kind of records. No, oh, it was There's... called it was called Full Throttle, by the way. Sorry, everybody, it's archived on YouTube. <laughs> Yeah, I will say this. These these two are pretty damn solid, just in, in a general sense. And by the by, KMFDM, my favorite band, did a remix of King Nothing. So nice. Fuck yeah. Um, I, I like I said, the first album is uh, I think better. Um, a Hero of the Day, I played on a loop. Basically, I was so revved up. That's my favorite song on this. But I mean, the whole first half is just rock solid hits. And yeah, until it sleeps, yeah, King Nothing. I mean. The, the first time you hear Until It Sleeps so I remember we heard it on the radio and I was like this is Metallica? And they're like yeah I go wow it's so strange like it's flow and it was just, it's just a sign of a new era and I kind of wish they would go more on this instead of constantly going back to the thrash whenever they get like oh nervous about record sales uh oh um, we went to a midnight release of this which is the only time in my life that I've ever done it. And this is a small town Huntington. Man, there were a lot of people lined up, which is so interesting uh, if you think about the kind of town it was. But we had friends that were supposed to open up. Um, they, they were going to do like, a, hey, you're a, you're a new band, and you know you get to perform in front of these people for the first time, and you know whatever. They got nervous, and they couldn't do it. And me and my roommate had just started trying to put a band together. We're like, should we go up there? And he's like, yeah, we should go up there. And then five seconds later, are we insane? We don't know what the hell we're doing. <laughs> no. <laughs> like, this is going to end badly. Yeah, I was like, we know three songs, Smoke on the Water. You know, like, there's just no way we were going to be able to pull that off. So <laughs> we changed our minds. Ah, uh, well... <sighs> feel bad for you then I, I wish we had just been a little more practice because we were like four we were like our friends just like we can't do it we can't go up there I was like you guys have been practicing for months come on at least you got three songs in you that was my story sorry yeah that was it nothing, nothing, nothing gained yeah all right <laughs> I'll all right, so you got two now to give us all right so my first album of this episode is return of the aquabats which kills me with that title because you know how, how i was joking I don't know, like, I think an episode or two back of this where um, you can't, I don't like it when you, oh, hey, it's your third album and you're going to call yourself self-titled. I think you can only say self-titled with your first album. I really do. Um, and then Return of the Aquabats is our first album. So it's like the complete and absolute opposite. <laughs> well, it's like, okay, I get that this is all meant to be fun and silly and dorky. But weirdly enough, I seem to have a hard time enjoying that. And okay, I, I love Weird Al. Uh -huh. I've seen shit. I've seen Richard Cheese live. You know, it's like although let's be honest, he hasn't really had a good album in a very long yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, there's I kind of like this slightly joke metal uh, band called Alestorm that does pirate metal. Okay, I know pirate rappers, but <laughs> not pirate metal. But. But while I was listening to this, I just started thinking of Graham Chapman's Monty Python character, you know, the military captain who just will break into stuff and basically just say, you know, stop that, it's silly. Yeah, yeah. And I just kind of felt like that the entire time where I'm just like, I can't do this. This is, <laughs> I this, can... is this is like Boingo Boingo Light, but nothing it's not working for me and it felt like it probably should have now have you listened to any of their other albums i've i know i've heard aquabat songs before and it's just never it's never been something i could do so it's like i couldn't tell you a single song title oh, okay um i will say this it gets a lot better this is their first album there's only two albums that i would say are so ridiculously silly like 
So there are silliness in a lot of their songs, but a lot of it, it has a better song structure so you can respect it and get down, you know, like, oh, this is a really cool, like, little flip they did in the sound. This and, oh, God, the one they did right when they were doing their show, both are aimed way younger than their normal audience. And I would say, I'm going to go ahead and admit now, when I made my list that I didn't go back to it, I didn't realize what album of Aquabats I wrote down. So I like this one, but I don't love it. So if I had to redo the list, I probably wouldn't have added this. <laughs> probably would have been the one that you took off. Yeah, I got this in Fury of the Aquabats confused. And it's one of those where I was like, I know this album like the back of my head. I don't need to listen to it again. Yeah, I did. Yeah, I did. <laughs> so let's put an asterisk next to this one. So yeah, I would say uh, Martian Girl is probably the one that was really popular off this, but it's not as strong as like the next three albums that come from them. I think it's so funny is how scrappy this band is, how it survives, whereas like a thousand other ska bands from this era just didn't. And they were never on a major label like all the other guys were. It, every time you look, they're on a new label because they just somehow just every five years found someone else to give them a record. Well, they have that. Uh, they have that thing like War does, where they have a very, very visually noticeable gimmick, and you can, you know, people like that. You know, there's definitely something that it. I'm not gonna say that transcends the music. You still have to have some talent there, but you. But it's something where if you're instantly recognizable, someone out there will sit there and go like. Oh hey, I recognize that you know nostalgia act. Let's let me buy a record. Yeah, I think also just the years and years and years of touring, and they have a great live show. For what I'm told, I've never been able to see them because somehow I miss it every single stink of time. But um, they built up their audience that way. Plus the show, I'm sure the show helped a lot. No, yep, definitely. All right, so that is my first one and my second one. This one is not an underrated hit. This is an all-time classic that people worship from a band that kind of was on the edge of sky. I don't know what you would call them. So SoCal just infused is uh, Sublime. They're <laughs> self-titled third album. <laughs> What's okay? I I'm gonna I will preface this with with this stuff and then we'll get into it. I don't particularly like Sublime. Now again. Don't worry, this is not like a Weezer thing. I don't have that vitriol. I just kind of find that those first two albums just basically really are kind of garbage. Oh, yeah. There's a couple decent songs on the second album, but that's but, it. But that's but this is the thing. This album's so fucking good. Like, I mean, it is, a, it is one of those things where you kind of you listen to this album and then you start feeling very cheated uh, with what happened uh, to their vocalist yeah. and you know like the substance abuses which led to his death and it's just if this is where they were heading then you know it's like this is one of those things where subsequent records could have been you know fucking classics yeah absolutely didn't, didn't he die before this was ever even released yeah yeah and apparently this was like a, a troubled troubled record which I think kind of almost makes this even far more remarkable that that this is the product that came out with something that probably wouldn't have actually happened maybe if if he didn't die which you know that kind of sounds shitty to say but it kind of feels like this might have been their last this also could have potentially been their last album too yeah yeah like it's just something that was so chaotic that they couldn't handle like they almost needed him to step out of the way now not die but maybe like go to rehab <laughs> and yeah, that way then, they could have finished the album yeah which then maybe that would have affected you know again in that in a dream world where they they continued on and it didn't become sublime with rome uh you know it's like yeah what would what would have this band's output have been and i kind of would have hoped that it would be something continuing along these lines yeah there's of course the big ones off this what i got wrong way santeria but i gotta say april uh 29th 1992 about the la riots that's a fucking great song yeah even though they did have to change the date and the city in the title so that uh they could get it released without quote unquote being sued i think there's like there's a legal reason why it's huh. it's the date and in parentheses Miami. Okay, I didn't realize that they had to change that. Why? Do I, I must have like an earlier version. I could have swore it said something different. 
Yeah, it never. It does not have the correct date. Uh, the song is is all that stuff. <laughs> yeah. But let's. But the actual song title is is completely different. What's the one? I could have swore uh, "Smoke Two Joints" was from this album, but it's not. Oh, that's that's on Forty Ounces to Freedom. I had that one, but what I mostly know it from is uh, the Mallrats soundtrack, which I listened to a million times, <laughs> which came out around the same time. But yeah, this. Yeah, I, it's it's hard to name really think of a bad song off this album. Yeah, it's funny when people think of rap rock, like you know that whole new era that started like '99. I guess the seeds of it are planted around this time, but this is so different than that. It's not even that aggressive. It's just kind of like yeah. just a chill like mood setter. Yeah, it's like yeah, it's that weird thing is yeah, it's not definitely not the rap rock stuff that you get with new metal later on, but it's and it's like it's not particularly ska but it's also not particularly like 311 either yeah it's, like, yeah no it's doubt like go ahead sorry that yeah but that, that's that's something i would probably say it's like yeah it's that kind of weird 311 and sublime kind of share the same dna even though they definitely are and aren't the same you know same style yeah i was thinking that sublime and no doubt start off with a lot of like ska influence in their music and then just both ditched well of course one didn't have a choice but you know i think that if they had stuck with that sound and, and everything that ska would have been more than just a two-year flash in pop culture it's just like all the big ones ditched that sound or moved on or, or like it was sublime you know the guy died yeah and i don't know it's it's kind of strange that that this kind of style didn't really take off as much as it really could have even though yeah it's like you know you have the the rap metal stuff that rage was doing kind of kind of informed what music would end up kind of going off in that sort of fusion style right all right i'm done with mine on to yours all right my next one is stabbing westwards wither blister burn and peel yeah this almost ended up on my list i love this album i listened to it all the time when i was driving around delivering pizzas in college and that's what's kind of nice about this is it is it definitely is an industrial rock album and this thing was pretty damn big because what do i have to do from it had a very good run on mtv Mm -hmm. and that's you know let's not, let's all say this is that's the song of the album really shame was also like the big single as well <clears throat> and in a way this i have a love-hate relationship with this album i, I love the seven western band and i i kind of feel bad that their career trajectory kind of kind of crashed and burned uh but uh you know it's like this always kind of felt like industrial light. Yeah, where, it's more poppy. Yeah, it's like it, it was poppy, you know, poppy songs. There was a little bit of heavy stuff. And it's like when they went and their next album, like the first album was pretty hard and heavy. This is the commercial record. They put out Darkest Days, which I think is a, which I do think is a better album. But it's also a much harder listen to because it's definitely a lot darker. It's, you know, a lot heavier. Then they go and basically release an alternative album, again, to be poppy and have people listen to them, and it just doesn't work. And it's like, well, the same elements are in their self-titled fourth album as are in this one, but no one wanted that. (laughs) And it's like, so kind of when I came to Stabbing Westward and I, you know, kind of had some of these other albums in mind, and I hear this one, it's like, this is a great album. But it's like, but why is it that this one hit and other stuff didn't? And it's aside because <sighs> industrial music and commercial music should ah, why hey, should it's, be more it, popular? Well, it's funny because yeah, this is during the era where it had a slight you know bump up, and it never really hit like top forty. I don't think. But on like alternative radio stations, you know, this and Gravity Kills, and I think there was a couple other guys that kind of broke through. Orgy, I don't know what you count Orgy as. They're not. Yeah, or yeah, Orgy kind of kind of does fit in that too. You know, it's like you know, Nine Inch Nails was huge. Yeah. And so it's like 
where you know it's like kind of like trying to find where white zombie was was big and then rob zombie subsequently right and then filter you know uh-huh. they had a couple of hits and so i just seemed like there's something in the water kind of like with ska we'd only had like a year or two where it was like oh you know people know who these bands are and they're selling well and then just kind of went away yeah and that's kind of the thing is it's like after their 2001 album they basically just kind of faded into obscurity, and the guy behind it, Chris Hall, he ended up forming a band called The Dreaming, which was basically just stabbing westward. Oh. And he, they had a couple of albums, and now they're back, and the new album that came out for Stabbing is amazing. So give them give them a shot, because seriously, this stuff, they, this guy puts a lot of heart and soul in his stuff, and it's, with the exception of Dark, the Darkest Days album, and I guess the first one, it's usually pretty, you know, pretty accessible stuff. I was thinking that uh, if you want to know what kind of music was just breaking through in this era, <laughs> go grab the Escape from L.A. soundtrack. <laughs> oh, yeah. That oh, guy's yeah. like all the guys from this era. Oh, the Crow soundtrack, for God's sakes. Um, <laughs> yeah, I guess that's... Because it's funny how much music changes in two years, though. Because look at 94 compared to 96. and It just seems wildly different. Well, I mean, well, actually, I'd say uh, we we mentioned in the last one the train spotting soundtrack, really. Yeah, because that that was a very heavy electronic album mixed with kind of nostalgia acts and and generic and general pop music too. So that was kind of like a very interesting cross section because you know, like hackers, the hacker soundtrack was all electronic stuff. But uh, as as banging as that soundtrack is, I wouldn't say that's a good. Uh, a good representation of what was popular, though. Do you sniff more in the morning? It sounds like we're both doing lines of coke, but we're both just it's the early. It you just know, sounds I'm, like if I'm not responding, I'm like, oh yeah, yeah I'm ready I'm, for another episode. <sighs> yeah, I'm still I'm still a little phlegmy, and I apologize to everybody. I'm trying to do it in a way that isn't. Uh, Obvious. Yeah. I uh, I smashed my nose in a bike accident when I was a kid, and it's never been the same. So early half of the day, I have one nostril that's just crushed. <laughs> Professional radio. <laughs> uh, all right, uh, my next album is Fashion Nugget by Cake. Look, I don't like the I Will Survive cover. I'm just telling you right now, and I'm a little burnt out on the distance. But everything else is fucking great. I love it. <laughs> Well, like I, I view Cake in the same way that I do the Talking Heads. I can respect what they do more than I particularly like them. Like this album has some extremely solid stuff, you know. And as much as yeah, the distance is overplayed. It's a still phenomenal song. Yeah, it's. But it's like yeah. It's, but I think it's they're they're more of a style for me over substance band. Well, I don't want to say that they're like um, they might be giants where they're twee with their dorkiness. It's just there's something very particular and odd. I don't know what it would quirky. I guess is what you would label this because yeah. it's yeah, like they, it's, they make they make very unique music. Yeah, and, and they use weird instruments. They pick. It's almost like it's more uh, almost like lounge music influenced than you know like elevator music influenced than alternative music at that time. It's just they hit at the right exact moment where someone was like, yeah, this will sell. And it did for years. Yeah, and like this and I, what is it? Uh, I'm about to say fashion, again, that's the only thing I don't, but the, uh, the one that has like uh, uh, Long Jacket and uh, the other one. Oh, that was later. That was like 2003. Yeah. So every single, they were the kind of guys that survived because they had at least one hit single off every single album so that people still knew who they were because like never there was on the next one comfort eagle like maybe that's the one with the short skirt long jacket yeah it is um and then pressure chief i think was uh the last one where it really charted and i can't remember there's one where they they, they, i can't remember what album is off but it was like how do you afford your rock and roll lifestyle which is weird because it wasn't a hit when it came out, but years later, for some reason, it connected and it was on uh, alternative radio a bunch. They should have been a one-hit wonder if you look at it on paper. It's the same thing with Beck. If it wasn't, if it was any other era, it they wouldn't have been successful. Yeah, well, I think also it's the biggest surprise I had listening to this was that uh, their song "Italian Leather Sofa." 
yeah. The instrumental of it was the theme song to the animated show Mission Hill. My favorite animated show of all time. I know it was short-lived, but people who know it know why it works so well. Yeah, I was genuinely surprised. I'm going, wait a minute. <laughs> like, holy crap. They... Like, okay. Yeah. Right, I'm, I'm digging with this. But yeah, it's like, like, like talking cats. I, I can respect what they're doing and 100% go like, those things right, like going. There's no reason why people shouldn't dig this. Yeah, I, there's it's... not a single reason in the world why I would be angry that they are successful. Yeah, it's like there... they deserve it. There's a few covers on here. That's why I think they have kind of a lounge feel to them. They do a Willie Nelson cover. Uh, they do I Will Survive, and they did another one in there. Um, I think perhaps, perhaps, perhaps is a cover song. But they're, they're singing about Frank Sinatra. It just feels like they're not joking. They're sincere in their dorkiness, which I truly appreciate. That's yeah, and that's it. as opposed to say the Aquabats or something, the dorkiness of it kind of works for them because yeah, it, it's like kind of like in the same way that Beck is. They are definitely making something that is well, I use the use it already, but unique. Yeah, it's. I almost want to say it's jukebox rock because clearly the music they grew up with influence their music to create something new out of it instead of just being like whatever was popular at an alternative at that time they just kind of made their own sound they're definitely far more stylistically stylistically consistent than like say Beck or yeah something. who every album decides he's going to be something else <laughs> by the way total side note uh, I was listening to the uh, Danny Elfman episode of the Mark Barron show and he said that um he wanted to change the band every two years. And that's why there's a constant struggle. Like, we love, you and I both love, like, the first three or four albums. And he said after that he was sick of it, but he didn't want to break up the band and hurt those guys. But he wanted to be in a totally different band every two years. And I kind of feel like that's what's going on with Beck. Yeah, but Beck has, has like, total control of it. I, I generally don't know if his if his band is a band that's or true if it's, session or yeah yeah or if it's just yeah the session people that he might like to work with more okay all right you're next all right this is gonna be an interesting one uh dj shadows end producing that was pretty cool i like this one i, I was thinking i was thinking it was gonna be one of those fucking terrible self-indulgent you know how Yanigui Malsteam and Steve Vai had those guitar records and everybody was copying that but then there was a period and people don't remember this is where the DJs the famous DJs at the time like DJ Magic Mike um would have their own little low budget albums of just them just scratching and stuff like that I thought it was going to be one of those self-indulgent boring ass albums and I thought this was pretty dope that's the thing. It's like I, I've spoken a few times about how I'd love to, you know, I, you know, this is kind of where I was leading uh, those things. Over, but it's like I would love to hear the instrumental versions of some of these albums that we talk about. Yeah, like, yeah. You know, Paul's Boutique would be an interesting album to just listen to on a musical level. This is kind of what I was leading to because introducing is effectively that. But it's even a little more so because it's not just a, this fantastic display of what one can do with sampling and stuff like that. This is really, this is DJ Shadow and he's composing. Yeah, basically. He, yeah, it's not, it's not necessarily that he's building tracks and stuff like that because that's, let's be honest, there's even, even stuff that I think is fantastically done. A lot of it is just kind of people putting together stuff to sample to make an interesting backbeat. This is genuinely a man taking different stuff from different records, you know, and turn in doing more work to them. And like I said, it's full on becoming effectively classical pieces of music that uh, that this this is an album that you can genuinely just kind of sit down and listen to, and you almost go on an oral journey throughout this stuff and you can just kind of see where this guy's headspace is going through as he flows this these concepts and stuff like that and it, it really helps that he's using 
uh, like any kind of vocal that you hear are like interviews as opposed to song as opposed to like vocals from music so it's not someone singing necessarily it's people talking to you but creating your you know it's like creating the trying to think of what I'm trying trying to think of the words I'm trying to come up with words are hard Uh, yeah man (laughs) yeah it's like it's creating the, the thesis for what he's doing throughout this entire piece of music and that's the thing is it's there are individual songs but they all kind of kind of come together as an entire tone piece as well and it's like I own this not just as the individual record but the expanded version which includes like variations of these things and uh, organ donor uh, has it, it's it's a fun song but the extended version of it is a lot better and it's you know a little bit more like almost like someone playing with a uh, like a harpsichord and it's inter- like far like a far different version of that song on the uh, like the two disc version of this yeah. album and you, you know me with my hip hop I like the oddball sounds the the, the non typical you know stuff especially when it's sampled or if you use any sort of classical music holy shit I'm in <laughs> Yeah, and that's the thing is this is this is hip hop, trip hop, electro house, jazz, jungle. Like this is all sorts of stuff that are being brought together to create this this piece. So, yeah, I I was expecting you to like this, but I this was thing where I was also kind of a little bit on pins and needles, kind of going, this is a not, I don't want to say this is a difficult listen to, but this is definitely unusual more. Yeah. yeah it's like a little more to it than you know me just giving you like underworld or something like that that's funny so, i'm literally looking at poster for the underworld franchise as you said that <laughs> <laughs> okay so what what do you got for your next one all right i got the <laughs> at the hated at the time really really hated i <laughs> really hated but later discovered by a new audience, and it's Pinkerton by Weezer. I didn't understand why this bombed so bad. I bought it. You know when uh, BMG or Columbia House, usually it was BMG, was the ones that was like, hey, these albums didn't sell very well. We're going to give you 12 for a buck or something, like insane. And, uh, you know, they were like just a clearinghouse, like a wholesale kind of place. And Weezer showed up real quick after it came out. And I picked it up, and I was like, oh my god, this thing is great. I became obsessed with this album. I listened to it so much. I'm not one of those latecomers, people. I didn't come four or five years later. I was there like six months after it came out, so I'm only kind of behind. <laughs> I'm so cool. <laughs> well, like, I, w- I will say this. Listening to this was not like pulling teeth or anything. I mean, you... you- it's already been established from uh, us talking about Blue that I love the Blue album, but I have issues. Uh, Get You was doing it for me. I had already liked El Scorcho. Why Bother is almost there. Like It's like they released a demo of this track instead of the like a better recorded and mastered version of the song. But, okay. I, I brought this up with, uh, with Razorblade Suitcase where we get it you know it's like being getting overnight success and being in a huge rock band can be a challenge and you know especially with your personal life and things like that where i found the the struggle of like a failing relationship with uh with gavin rossdale and bush you know he's he's trying he's putting emotion and heart into it cuomo this album comes off like a whitey rich teen's diary it does i'll say this as i get older i realize that he's also kind of avoiding it it seems like his cutesy stuff and his you know his goofball kind of lyrics that he's surrounding these themes with is kind of like deflecting like a protective armor from actually being real and raw yeah because this is the thing it's like this is full of that emo bullshit that just really ruined rock music for quite a while. It's like 
fun. He's in a fucking huge rock band, and he's writing about, I will never find true love. My time at Harvard is so cruel and dark, and I will forever die alone. <laughs> and it's and it's like, I falling for you almost worked for me, but I made a mistake. I put on the lyrics, and then I got mad. And uh, Butterfly, same thing. I was really ready ready to like it. And then Cuomo happened. He Cuomoed. I think that, that needs to be a verb now to describe being your own worst enemy. Yeah. It's so funny. It's like, he, he became so insecure after this album that he became like this guy who came up with a formula for what is a successful pop album or a, a pop song. And I would all I would just rather have this version though than his cold calculating version that rose afterwards. Yeah, it's like I I did not like I said I did not hate this as much as I thought I was gonna go into it like because I think where where I really became kind of vitriolic towards them was with the Green album, and so it's like I. Because I remember hearing about how no one liked this one. So it's like, I heard El Scorcho, I liked El Scorcho. And I was like, okay, that's, I think that's like the universally agreed upon. This was the song that people liked. Yeah, well, The Good Life, I thought, was the single from this album. Am I wrong? I think it was, but that's, (laughs) let's be honest, uh, it's a fucking annoying song. Oh, I like this one my favorite song off this one i don't understand oh. how though he was like 20 at this time at best and he's like singing about i don't want to be an old man anymore i'm like what <laughs> are you writing from someone else's perspective <laughs> yeah at least, as i said he's he i think he gets in his own way yeah especially on this album where it's like you could have explored actual like the actual feelings of isolation and stuff like that there are lots of bands that have that 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 have those things shit even even shitty emo music can do it better than this and it's like you know it's like i said he start turns into a live journal and it's just it's kind of like going you know try and man the fuck up a little bit in here instead of just kind of whining about it. It's so you know, weird that they're now considered like rock gods, legendary arena fillers when they're like, when you listen to this album, you're like, oh, these guys sound like they never made it past like a coffee house. Yeah, it, it's it is definitely a far cry from the Blue Album. Like yeah. the Blue Album is, is geeky and you know and stuff like that. And in a way, I kind of would get that that is how he would respond to <laughs> to being heartbroken. But you also kind of go, yeah, but you're also rich and you went to Harvard, so yeah, your life yeah. isn't that bad. Um. Of course, this is basically the birth of emo. So if you hate Dashboard Confessional, blame Weezer. <laughs> blame this album. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You're panic at the discos and all those. They're uh, not. Are they emo? I don't know if they're emo. What do you count? I always, I didn't really count them. They're more like pop punk, I would say. They're more influenced by the killers, I would say, than anything else. But that's just me. Anywho. It's... It's... Uh... I, I, I get why people think it's got a little more of a, a cult following. Is it is it as bad as I feel towards some of these other later ones? No. So yeah, it it, it I do think it's it is an album that should have been looked at through a second viewing, but I do think Razorblade Suitcase does that concept better. All right, you're next. I'm gonna be very curious to know what you think of this one. Uh, this is Beborn Beton's Nightfall. I saw these people perform live at a music store called Sounds Like in Riverside, California. I had no idea why they're playing there, other than to promote at the time was a Greatest Hits album. Yeah. And they were on tour with a band called Apoctima Berserk. But they weren't playing anywhere near here. I have no clue as to why I saw them live. But... They were really were very nice people. They were really cool. I hung out for a little while with their with their lead vocalist. He's a 
you know, Stefan's a really cool dude. And, you know, it's kind of how I learned about this band, other than uh, they had done some remix work. Uh, they're a, a style of industrial called EBM, Electro Body Music, which is basically kind of synth pop, but a, yeah. little, I didn't, a little heavier synth pop. I didn't hate it, but I also just didn't get into it. In fact, I barely have a memory of even listening to it now that I think about it. It wasn't even that long ago, but it just like one of those. I'm not even sure. Tell you truth, I'm not sure I finished the album. I think I listened to like the first four or five, and I was like, "All right, I got it. Okay." <laughs> yeah, it, for a while, this was a style of industrial I really dug, which uh, again, the synth poppy type stuff. There's Covenant and Apoptigma, Assemblage Twenty Three, VNB Nation. I actually saw live. We we will hear one of their albums in the near, somewhat near future. Uh, it's not their breakout album because the following one really kind of brought them uh, a wider audience but this you is say a whiter <laughs> a wider oh okay <laughs> but let, let's be honest this is a genre that uh, comes from a very a lot of very white countries <laughs> so yeah kind of but uh, you know it's like this is a very this is very club friendly but there's a good balance too because there's uh you know club club tracks like man trap uh i'm uh in inner uh but you also got like synth pop stuff like life is a distance and color of love and you know even earth which is this really dark moody song but it's it's fairly like light listen it's if if you kind of like say depeche mode this is, you know, especially kind of earlier Depeche Mode, it's more along that lines than, say, Nine Inch Nails or something. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, so I was curious because this is definitely a band few people have heard of. The fact that there's, they took a long break and came back and actually have a pretty fucking good album that came out this year, I think. Uh, you know, it's like, yeah, they've just kind of been off there in a little corner. And people mostly just, like I said, kind of know them for remix work more than anything else at this point. Yeah, they were, they were complete. I did feel like, yeah, when I was listening to it, I felt like, oh, this feels like it's from a decade earlier. <laughs> this is weird. It, it, like, European pop electro is so different than anything else. Like you said, Depeche Mode is probably the best way to put that. Yeah, it, like I said, that's... That's the best way I can I can describe it. You know, again, it's dance in a generalized sense. It is dance music. You know, so kind of kind of if if you give this one a shot, and I, I do say that, and I also would definitely say give truth. The truth is is amazing as well. Those those are fun listens. But what is yours? Fountains of Wayne, self-titled. Now, I'm going to say the only reason this probably exists, at least from a major label, is because of Weezer. So, <laughs> um, the 90s did have a lot of kind of like nerd rock going. But I want to tell you what, right now, Adam Schlesinger is like the fucking master of pop-friendly, just great alternative music. I mean, I, I know that he, uh, you know, fleshed out, his first thing, of course, was that he you know, sold... Um, that thing you do, which is just a classic old '60s yeah. pop uh, oh, song, yeah. and then that got him attention to get this album done. And sadly, we lost him at the very early days of COVID. Uh, one of the first, like I guess, well-known people to die from it. And it's kind of sad that one of the greatest songwriters I think of my lifetime is gone. And yeah, that's I. I it, it didn't cross my mind that that thing you do came out before this album. Well, uh, no. It, the song was sold before this album was released. Okay, okay, but but even then, it's like because I kind of attributed, yeah, it's like, all right, I really didn't particularly dig the album. I it's it was really slow for me. Really? It's like yeah, there's up tempo songs and stuff, but it think, but I totally you know, Schlesinger, you know, it's like yeah, that thing you do, 
that song fucking rules. He, he even co-wrote some of the songs from the Josie and Pussycats movie. Yeah, which, uh, he wrote one of the, I think the final Monkees album, he wrote a bunch of songs for. He just has a very friendly to the ear 60s influence, kind of like Rooney. If you listen to Rooney, they have that same sound. He found a way of updating that, and I just—it's one of my favorite albums. I absolutely love this band, and just their sound really appeals to me. Yeah, it's like I'm—I'm I'm definitely willing to if if you place more in front of me, I'm definitely up there and willing to listen to it. Yeah, the next this two is, albums are just absolutely fucking kick-ass. Yeah, this one's a little more melancholy. I'll say that. Yeah, it didn't—it just didn't work for me. But dude, I—the man—I give the credit where credit's due to him. That's. <laughs> He's, he definitely he definitely has has the stuff where I'm like, okay, I will I will give you you know let you I will let you try to entertain me. I'm not going to be a brick wall of you have to break down something to to appeal to my tastes. I will I will allow you in. We'll see if it works. The uh, I, there's something so funny about I don't really particularly like the song, but the fact it's called "Please Don't Rock Me Tonight." <laughs> It's like a complete alternative to anything else that was going on in rock music. No, 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 no please don't. I, I got a, I got a headache. I don't want to do this. <laughs> yeah, it's. Uh, and they said it after he passed away. The guy uh, Collinsworth, uh, the main lead singer from this band, he said I fucked up our band because I was drinking so much that we only put out like a total of five albums over you know like a long period of time. But Adam was so prolific, they could have put out an album like every single year. But, you know, just because of his issues, they couldn't go on tour, they couldn't record. So he did like, God, he did so many songs for movies. I'm look, looking at this list, it's insane. And he wrote so many other songs for other people. Uh, some are retro, like The Monkees, I said he did, and The Click Five. There's Super Drag, there's Bowling for Soup, Jonas Brothers. I just... It's crazy how many songs he either got adapted. He wrote for theater. He wrote for movies. He did that. He did a lot of songs for that TV show my sister's crazy about called um, My Ex-Girlfriend or My Crazy Ex-Girlfriend or something like that. Okay. And then he was in a good band that was kind of one of those super groups called Tinted Windows with James Eha, the drummer from Cheap Trick, and one of the Hanson brothers, I think. And it was pretty good. It's just one of these guys who had so much in him that he wanted to create and Fountains of Wayne just didn't get together enough for him to, you know, put those all out. And we lost somebody, and I think he was pretty young. I thought he was like 51 or something like that to die from COVID. And that fucking blows. Yeah. Uh, that, that, that does suck. That is a tragedy, man. Yeah, the, uh, the first song, Radiation Vibe, is considered the top 500 songs of all time by Rolling Stone. Okay. It's, I just really love it. I love uh, Survival Car, Sink to the Bottom, um, Leave the Biker, Leave the Biker. <laughs> it's just, it's, there's such like sad... It's it's kind of like, if you like Weezer, especially like Pinkerton, it kind of has some of that same tone, but not the sound. It's not as whiny, and it's not as melancholy, but there's some... 100%. There's yeah. kind of like a, a dorky underdog feel to it all. Yeah, that's, like I said, that's why I'm perfectly willing willing to give more fountains away in a, a try. Like they they did Stacy's bomb, right? Right, and that's what they're yeah. known for. Um, yeah, but there's so much more than that. I think their next one, Utopia Parkway, is their best album. All right. All right. I think uh, that'll probably end up. Yeah. The, the, see, the first one is '60s influence. The '70s one. Um, is on the next album so they have like a lot of like uh, there's Cheap Trick and you know um, uh, Aerosmith and kind of like that kind of influence the, more of that uh, the cars and so each album kind of moves up a decade hmm okay alright you're next oh how about we do you have any of the albums that would have made your list oh my dear lord uh, Turn the Radio Off of course is the one that uh almost made the list and now that i remember that i had the wrong aquabats album i probably should have put that on there but you know everybody what i hate is if you turn on anything ska like ska radio whatever they always play that one fucking song sell out yes i know it was their big hit but they have so many other great songs the next albums are definitely making the list 
Yeah, um, I'll be honest, I probably would have had more fun with uh, with Real Big Fish than... <laughs> so, yeah, well, the 98 album is absolutely getting on there. Uh, Nerf Herder I had. Um, you have a lot of the albums I had. It's like Tool, uh, Stabbing Westward, Bush. Um, what I have? It? Uh, the Losing Streak by Less Than Jake almost made it. Uh, better Than Ezra, Eels, Republica, Not a Surf. Soundgarden, that was a close one. Uh, Local H, Weird Al, Gre uh, Bad Hair Day, um, The Refreshments, and The Gin Blossoms. Those are all the ones that were like on the peripheral. Yeah, I almost had Republica as well. Uh, the self-titled from Gravity Kills, uh, Tin Skulls, uh, self-titled album. Uh, Roots' Philadelphia Half-Life, uh, Anti-Flags, Die for the Government, Cradle of Filth's Dusk in Her Embrace. That was so close to being on the album. Uh, Sepultura's Roots, uh, Sneaker Pimps Becoming X. Oh, the last... Sneaker Pimps, son of a bitch. I didn't even think to put that on the list. But they haven't hit their like peak point, right? Like the next album is where well, we kind of all no, know. No, no, that was, Becoming X kind of was their, Shit. Okay, was wow. their big album. Uh, the final for a long time album from Carcass, Swan Song. The final for a long time album from Skinny Puppy, The Process. Uh, BT's Ema, uh, Satyricon's Nemesis uh, Divine, uh, Divina, oh, sorry, and uh, Apocalyptica's Play Metallica by Four Cellos. But uh, my last one for this uh, time is going to be the self-titled album from Lamb. That's too heavy for me. I'm sorry. Too heavy. This is trip hop. This was. Uh, Wait, hold on. You know. <laughs> Why do we take so long between listening to these albums and actually recording? We gotta do this earlier, shit. Well, it's like, yeah, they're a trip-hop band. Uh, they just, they never really got the... And they're still around, too, but they're a duo. They never really got the attention that they should have. And granted, their biggest song was from this album called Goreki. It was used in some TV shows and some trailers. The lyrics actually are in Moulin Rouge as some of the dialogue, because, you know... That's all the dialogue and, and song choices in Moulin Rouge. Or God, the movie's so fucking strange, but nobody else could give you a movie like that, honestly. And that's the thing. It's like, it, especially at this time, Trip Hop was, you know, re you know relatively big. Yeah, I was, Tricky was probably the biggest guy from this genre, right? Yeah, it's like, you know, basically, yeah, with Sneaker Pimps and... Uh, and uh, Portishead basically, well, yeah, Tricky, but Tricky mainly showed up in movies and stuff. Like, he, he decided to actually put himself physically out there than just his music. But, yeah, it's like he had those kind of things, Massive Attack. So it's like, yeah, they, they kind of got lost in the shuffle. And that's, you know, it's like there's, like, jazz influence. There's very lovely female vocals. This is just a – it's a lovely little album, really. I feel bad that I screwed this up. I'm sorry. Oh man, I'm I'm disappointed. I thought I remembered what this album was about. Shit. <laughs> Why yeah, do I think? Like no, I'm thinking Lamb of God. I'm <laughs> stupid. All right, uh, I'm just gonna shut up now. And let him talk. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, that's the thing. It's like, yeah, the being like the one song that kind of broke big, but that's just it. It's like it's. Everything about it's just it, it's just a light and airy, airy thing, and it's like I definitely kind of prostrate myself amongst the audience. That if you've never heard this album, give it a shot. It's it is lovely, genuinely is. All right, so my final album. I get the feeling you may not like this one. Um, this is the only band that I've seen twice in concert for this album, <laughs> for one album. <laughs> and I saw the urge receiving the gift of flavor. Look, I get if you don't like it. Something about it. I, at that time, just hit the sweet spot for me. This album is my fucking jam. Okay, dude, good. Woo. Thank you, dude. Oh my god, I I, I don't think I've, I've heard the urge. I might have. It, there's a there's a possibility, but dude, this album was fun. Uh, the opener was kicking my ass, but I, I the I didn't write a lot of notes on this one. Uh, again, I just said this is my jam. Thank you. Uh, but I was getting this weird Slayer vibe from a good chunk of drunk asshole 
Like, <laughs> like, like, like this this album is fun and, and great to listen to, but all of a sudden, yeah, just kind of like this weird Slayer song starts playing, and I'm like, what the hell is going on here? Yeah, we, uh, so I have a weird history with it. So the first time I discovered them was they were opening up for, of all people, it makes no sense now, but they were all on the same label. It was Cracker, The Verve Pipe, and The Urge. This does not fit in with the other two. <laughs> And then I saw them a year later when they opened up for Bloodhound Gang. That it fits a little bit better, I guess. But yeah, it's still like they never found the right. Like they should have been with like a, a metal album or a punk band or a ska band. So it just seemed weird that they didn't know what to do with them. And I think that's what hurt their legacy. Is uh, the next album is what they had their one hit wonder, which is Jump Right In, which is uh, about you know sex with no condom. And that was a, a, a decent-sized hit on alternative radio, but that's basically all they had. And this one is more aggressive than the next one, which is a little more pop-friendly. There's two schools of ska in the 90s. There's the California, hey, we're all just high school kids having fun and goofing around. And then there's more of the serious, like, East Coast ska, you know, like the Mighty Mighty Boss Tones. And, and, and like the urge and stuff like that where they have a lot more on their mind than just you know having a good time and oh poor me you know that kind of thing um i would say the east coast ska holds up better it's more uh, england influenced okay yeah it's i i like I said i don't have a whole lot to say not not because i didn't like it but just i i had fun i uh, i even saw that they were playing like they were actually touring this year and stuff, and I genuinely had the thought to going, I might go see these guys. Yeah, they're great, absolutely fucking phenomenal live, and I'm t- I'm telling you that's based on one album, um, and they've had like four since. They don't, they didn't work very successful. It's even, it's strange that their next album, the one with the one hit wonder, only sold a hundred thousand more than this. They built a, a strong cult following, so you know I think that's why they're still around. If you're a great band, especially live. People will remember that and see you like 20, 25 years later or something like that. Um, the one other thing that I remember from this is I was jamming out to this in my art class. Drawing one, people, or drawing two. And I had a dickhead for a teacher. He was a drunk and he hated all of us. And he used to play classical music all the time. And we decided, <laughs> well, I didn't decide. I got <laughs> pestered by the guy next to me who's like, you should totally put this tape into the player and jam this or whatever while he's out, you know, because he always went to go drink in the middle of class. And um, <laughs> so <laughs> I was like, fine, 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 I'll do it. I put the tape in. Everybody seemed cool with it. And then he comes roaring in and basically kicks open the tape player and takes it out and goes, Whose is this? <laughs> and I was like, oh shit, sorry, sir. And it was going to the liquor store as he walked in. <laughs> uh, good, good timing. Yep, I was like, well, it's, and he hated me, man. I remember one time I was just joking around. You know I have kind of a gallo, uh, a gallo sense of, is that the word? Gallo sense of humor. Yeah, sorry, I can't talk for some reason. Um, you know, a darker sense of humor or whatever. And it wasn't even that dark. All I said was, after our little 15-minute break, I go, all right, let's go back to this crap. And he grabs me by the shoulder, pulls me into another classroom, and berates me for like five minutes about my negative attitude. And I was like, dude, I was just kidding. And I could smell the alcohol on his breath. Uh, sucked. But the urge will always be that locked-in memory with that class. <laughs> uh, I guess we're done, huh? I guess that is it. Yeah. Uh, it's a, it was definitely an interesting mix of stuff. <laughs> I also think we should wait till later in the day to record because I am punchy. <laughs> <sighs> All right. Well, I guess we'll wrap it up. Uh, thank you, everybody, for listening to my gibbering nonsense while you listen to the professional on the other side of this phone. <laughs> and uh, you know where to find us. Like, share, comment. If we missed any albums that you wanted on here, let us know. And if you have any comments on like what to include in our 97 album, we will take it into consideration, but probably not. <laughs> oh, I've got I've got half my list already built, so you guys have definitely got to. If, if you want me to cover something that is obscure metal or industrial, yeah, I'd love to hear it. I probably already have it on my list somewhere. We are what seventeen uh, seasons into this. I count each year as a season. I finally remembered to keep my notes. 
so that I remember the album's a miss. I haven't done that in a while. And now I think maybe it's time for me to write down what I think of the album instead of going off memory because I am 46 and I don't think this fucking hamster is running down the wheel anymore. Yeah, I've got two text documents open that I'm switching between. Oh, man, I cheat. I use Wikipedia. <laughs> yeah, I'm an embarrassment to podcasting. You just stop listening. I'm going to give the whole show to John. Fuck this. <laughs> All right, I'm going to go before I embarrass myself more. Bye. See ya.